Good evening. It is another wonderful opportunity that God has blessed us with to be able to assemble again tonight to worship Him as He has instructed us to do in spirit and in truth. And as we turn our attention to the lesson tonight, it's again another installment of Lessons from the Crucifixion. This is part eight of the series of lessons that we have looked at on the last Sunday night of the month, really since January it has been now, and we arrive at part eight in the series tonight. For our introduction tonight, the last lessons uh, that we have looked at, and that will conclude the uh, series of lessons, will be the things spoken by Jesus while he was hanging on the cross. From that point, uh, from then, we have looked at forgiveness, paradise, care for our families, both physical and spiritual. And for tonight, we arrive at the fourth thing, as the gospel accounts record for us, that Jesus said. And that will be of what was read for us earlier from Matthew chapter 27, verse 46. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? If you would be turning there, we're going to be looking at that here in just a moment in detail. But before we begin tonight, it seems to me that this statement made by our Lord while he hung in the agony that he did on the cross is the most profound. We may ask ourselves the question, why did the Father forsake his Son? It's not uncommon at all to hear many things taught about this matter. There's much confusion taught about it, it would seem to me. And even those that are members of the church and preachers of the church have not fully, it would seem to me, understood this topic within its entirety. But it would, nevertheless, it would seem that the, that the Bible entire, in its entirety lists two marvelous truths on this matter, why the Father forsook the Son. And we're going to look at those truths tonight. And I hope that we will each be encouraged by it as we strive to live our Christian lives. And if we have come to a point in our lives where we may have allowed distance to become between us and God, I hope you'll be bothered by the things we'll be studying tonight. They are very powerful, they're monumental, and very important for us to consider as we live our Christian lives each and every day. And we'll close our lesson tonight by asking the question, can God the Father forsake us as Christians? Though we attempt and try to live our Christian lives as we do, can we find ourselves forsaken by him? We're going to answer that in due course tonight. But for, for the first part on this next slide, in the first part of our lesson, let's be turning to that passage in Matthew chapter 27, verse 46. I'll begin reading in verse 45. Now from the, from the sixth hour there was darkness all over the land unto the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The agony, the torture, the absolute mind-numbing scene as we see on the pages of the New Testament and through the gospel accounts arrive us to this point. Jesus 
hanged on the cross for roughly six hours, being his hands and feet driven as he arrived at the place of Golgotha. Again, he had made the statements of pronouncements of forgiveness, of paradise to that thief, and, to and care for his mother for the remainder of her life. But now darkness, the text says in verse 44, I'm sorry, 45, from the sixth hour, from the ninth hour. So till the 3 p.m. hour, there was darkness. Darkness had covered the land. And we may ask ourselves, why did this darkness occur the way it did? Some skeptics, atheists, and others throughout the world like to claim this to be not a supernatural thing that occurred. Some like to think that it was just simply a solar eclipse. But, my friend, that is not the case. This was not a solar eclipse. Solar eclipses we know of last just a matter of minutes. This lasted until the 3 p.m. hour in that afternoon. Everyone around him, standing around the cross, was standing in darkness. The Roman soldiers, the followers of Jesus, his mother, John, and those Jews that had, brought, that had cried out for his death. But we may ask our que the question of ourselves, what was taking place at this moment? What was taking place with the darkness surrounding and falling on the land? And on this next slide is my attempt to start with the first truth as we see in the New Testament to see what was taking place at this moment. It would do us good to appreciate, it would seem to me, to understand this in its entirety of what sin is and what it does to us. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 4, we are told, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. Sin in any form, as the New Testament would describe it, that individuals can commit transgresseth the law of God. In Romans chapter 3, verse 23, we are reminded of this truth, that we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, even those that are Christians do sin. As we're going to learn, though, there is a, a great, powerful truth, though, as we're going to learn in the lesson tonight, and as we have learned in previous lessons, about a Christian that's walking in the light versus one that has fallen away completely. And we may also ask ourselves this question, what makes our salvation possible? That is one of the topics throughout the New Testament that is in the world, in the realm of religion, that is, there's so much confusion taught about it. How we are saved by grace, by faith, and we are saved by all those things, but it harmonizes together. But what Jesus was doing here made that possible. Throughout the entirety of the Old Testament, we see untold countless numbers of animals sent for sin, sin offerings that God instructed them to do. But we must be reminded of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 4, that the blood of bulls and goats could never take away sin. But in the spring of AD 30, 
the Lamb of God made the sacrifice for humanity. The Lamb of God, as John the Baptizer in, first, in John chapter 1, verse 29, he would say, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And at this moment, while on the cross in darkness, while screaming out to the crowd and to, God, to the God in heaven, he uttered the words of abandonment because of this moment. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, we are told there by inspiration of Paul, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we may be, be, made, in the, be made the righteousness of God in him. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, we are told he bore our sins on the tree, on the cross. He bore them. He carried every weight, every sin that had ever been committed in that moment. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, we are told, And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but the sins of the whole world. That text has a powerful truth to it. Those, that writer that was writing that to those individuals made the statement, not for our sins only, but for sins of the whole world. Every sin that the world would know was in essence heaped upon the shoulders, shoulders of our Lord on that moment. No wonder the world had been covered in darkness. And no wonder that our Savior cried, screamed a moment of abandonment. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And if we can stretch our minds to understand that every sin that in essence has been committed, we are told in Hebrews chapter 9 verses 15, 16, and 17 that that sacrifice covered those sins of the Old Testament and the imperfectness of them, the perfect sacrifice was being made. So from really creation to whenever the end of time may come for all those generations, all the untold countless billions and billions and billions of people that would live, every sin from those individuals was heaped upon our Savior at the 3 p.m. hour in the spring of AD 30. There's likely not a number that would describe the number of sins that that was. And as we're going to know on the next slide, we're going to know what that we're going to see what that did to him. Under that duress, under that abandonment from his father. And those sins taken there from the beginning of the New Testament really on until the the end of the world when that will be that is that is highlighted in principle in uh, Philippians chapter 2 verses 5 through 11 Philippians chapter 2 verses 5 through 11 we are told by inspiration let this mind be in you which is also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God but made himself of no reputation and took upon the form, and took upon him the form of a servant 
and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. We see a description here of the death of Christ in its entirety, taking it all the way to the day of judgment. Every knee is going to bow, and they are, every knee, whether you be a, a Christians or not, they're going to confess the name, confess the name of Jesus, verse 11. They're going to confess the name of Jesus Christ, that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now would be a good time to interject. Have you confessed the name of Jesus in the plan of salvation? If you've not tonight, you can do that tonight. It would be far better to do it tonight and obey the gospel in its entirety than to wait and have to be forced to do it then. In principle, also from a verse like this, this also teaches us, this teaches us that there's not going to be any atheist on the day of judgment. They are, in essence, going to be forced to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So as we take that thought of being forsaken for a moment by the sin that had made its presence known and by the Lamb making the perfect sacrifice for us all, I would invite you to be turning with me to Psalms chapter 22. Psalm chapter 22. We're going to hear some, throughout the description of this psalm, we're going to hear some very remarkable truths in this, and they're going to sound familiar. But before we begin to this, I thought some background of this psalm would be in order. This song was penned roughly 1,000 B.C., roughly 1,000 years before the birth of our Savior. And as I was doing research on this psalm, I found it interesting that this song has the title of a synagogue song in that in its description that this song would be hymned at the appropriate time in uh, synagogue worship as a most of the time a call to worship so if ind individuals would be out in front of the the building or doing other things this song would be would be hymned it would be sang as a call to worship letting them know that worship was about to begin so with that in mind, and with the cross in mind, let's all go for a moment in our minds and pretend that we were a Jew in the first century, in the spring of AD 30, on the day that our Lord was crucified. And we were standing there, maybe we had been in the mob that had screamed for his death. Or maybe we had watched him carry the cross beam to the place of Golgotha. And we then hear the statements he made. We witness the darkness that had fallen over the land, maybe with some uneasiness about us, and then we hear Jesus Christ say this, 
My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And then our minds would immediately run back to Psalm chapter 22. If you would, I would invite you, let's read the first 19 verses, really, of Psalm chapter 22. And then we'll go back and talk about them in a little bit more detail. Beginning in verse 1. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? O my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not. And in the night season I am not silent, but thou art holy. O thou thou that inhabitest inhabitest the the praises of Israel, our fathers trusted in thee, they trusted and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee and were delivered. They trusted in thee and were not confounded. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men, despised of the pe- and despised of the people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head, saying, He trusted in the, on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him, let him deliver him, seeing he de- delighted in him. But thou art... Art he that took me out of the womb? Thou didst make me, make me hope when I was upon my mother's breast. I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me, beset me round. They, ga- they gaped on, upon me with their mouths as a, as a right... A raving and roaring li- and a roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax; it is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaw. And thou hast brought me into the dust of death. For dogs have compassed me; the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones. They look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. But be not thou far from me, O Lord. O my strength, haste thee to help me. That is the first 19 verses of Psalms, Psalm chapter 22. I hope you understood and and appreciated the familiar ring that it had with some things we've already highlighted tonight. So with that in mind, and we are... If we are pretending we are a Jew there looking on Jesus and we have just heard him say this, we're going to appreciate verse number one, of course. God forsake the Son momentarily at the 3 p.m. hour when he uttered that statement. Again, because of the sin that had made itself known. And in Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 13 Very interesting, we are told that God is of purer eyes than to behold iniquity. Arriving at verse 2, we see a description. O my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not, and in the night season, and I am not silent. That would appear to be the occasion that our Savior prayed to God the Father in the garden. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 39, it went like this. Oh my God, if thou, if it be thy will, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, thy will be done. Nevertheless, not 
I will, but thou wilt. It was always submission to the Father. And you may notice, Jesus said, if it be possible, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. If there's any other way that the Savior could have been, have been delivered from this moment, if there's any other way that he could have escaped the death, the agony, and the sin of the world, God would have delivered him. But he didn't. There was no other way for human redemption to occur. It had to be done. Jesus, in essence, were born, was born for these moments. Continuing on through that song, verses 4 through 8, we see the description of how the Jew Jewish leaders, as well as that mob that had gathered there and had pronounced death upon him and, and their actions, beginning in verse 6, Jesus or the psalmist David here, I am a worm and, and no man, a reproach of men and despised of the people. And that he was. He was despised of those leaders. They thought he was a, a fraud. They didn't want to accept him as the Son of God. And verse 7 is, sound, should sound very familiar to us. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head, saying, He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. We may remember that very description in Matthew chapter 27, verses 39 through 43 is verbatim given. Those Jewish leaders screamed out, Well, if he is the Christ save himself and come down from the cross so we may see and believe. And we see verbatim that penned a thousand years before its occurrence. And yet they had the nerve, they had the arrogance, they knew what this psalm said, and they were in essence committing this very thing of what the text says by way of Old Testament prophecy. Verses 9 through 11 highlight the birth of our Lord and how God was always with him. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, we may recall on that occasion that the Lord had just been baptized by John the baptizer, and a voice from heaven came down and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. The same statement was ushered from God the Father in Luke chapter 9, verse 35, on the transfiguration of Jesus. He said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. Jesus would say in John chapter 8, verse 29, I always do the things that please, please the Father, that please my Father. For us as Christians, we should have that same attitude as well. In John chapter 17, verse 4, in the prayer to God that was made before the prayer in Gethsemane, Jesus knew very well he was about to be back with his Father. He prayed for his apostles. He even prayed for us as his followers that would believe on him throughout the world. But in verse 4, 
he made this statement at the beginning of that prayer. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. He knew the cross was soon to be his, to, to be his fate. He knew that he would take upon the sins of the whole world. He knew the agony of it. And he felt every bit of it in his greatness. In verses 12 through 13, we have another description of the actions of that mob that had surpassed him. They are likened as bulls, as they have beset around me. Verse 13, they gape upon me with their mouths as a, as a, ra a ravening and a roaring lion. In verse 14, I am poured out like water, and all of my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. On this next slide will be a, a continuation of that and the description of the physical torture as Jesus felt on the cross. From verses 14 through 17, Verse 15, my strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws, and thou hast brought me to the dust of death. For dogs have compassed me, the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me, they pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones, they look and stare upon me. We are then given in great detail the physical torture of, of our Lord as he, hang, as he hung on the cross in this occasion. In John chapter 10, verses 17 and 18, Jesus made the statement that no man takes, his li takes my life from me. I took, he, he, he submitted himself entirely. But in John chapter 19, verse 1, we can appreciate the scourging that our Savior endured once again. In the previous lesson, on the, at the onset of the series of lessons, we uh, looked in detail at that scourging. And we may remember that that scourging, as the Roman soldier would inflict it, it was done with a flagrum, and that cord, those cords at the end of that flagrum would have glass or rock or sharp bones or other things like that. And we may remember it as we talked about that, as the flesh was ripped apart from our Savior, that would expose the muscle tissue, and if deep enough wounds were inflicted by that flagrum, even likely part of the bones of our Lord would have been visible. If we would have been standing there at the foot of the cross, we would likely have saw that. Verse 14, verse 17 tells us that truth. But verse 14, again, the statement is made, all my bones are out of joint. Now, it is true that it didn't say broken. And we are told by inspiration, of course, that not one bone of our Lord was broken. But his bones, apparently, from reading of this description, were out of joint. That was likely from in his shoulders, his arms, his waist, even feeling the agony and the torture of that, from that, the scourging, and of course the sin that had heaped upon him. 
Verse 18 is probably the most familiar, sounds the most familiar to us because it's so well known. They parted my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. Those Roman soldiers, as they took the garment of Jesus and they d divided it among them and they cast lots upon the, the, the one portion for it. A thousand years, a death that had not even been known at the time. And yet, we see it coming to pass, just as David had penned it. The Holy Spirit through David, that is. And we can appreciate also that those Roman soldiers they, that done this, they had likely had no idea of Judaism, of the Old Testament scriptures. And it's an absolute affirmation of the foreknowledge of God. But also... The statement is made again in verse 15 of Psalm 22 that my strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue cleaveth to my jaw. We may remember that our Savior made the statement of thirst. The very next thing he said as the gospel accounts accord uh, list for us in that order, that's going to be a topic of our next lesson, uh, if it be the will of God next, next, on our next occasion. And it was again foretold, prophesied in verse 15. And also another affirmation of truth. We see in verse 25 of this psalm, I know we didn't read that far, but we see the praise sang in the, in the congregation. That statement we know, all know is also found in the New Testament, in the midst of the church, I will sing praise unto thee. This is also affirmation of that blessed church that our Savior also purchased with his blood. Acts chapter 20 tells us. So with those things in mind, the foreknowledge of God, the horrendous state, condition of our Savior, we then arrive to our last slide, our last topic for tonight. And that is a question for all of us. Can God forsake us today? And I'll go ahead and answer that. The answer is an overwhelmingly yes. Absolutely. The New Testament, and more than one occasion, delivers that very scene of events, of that happening to those in the first century. And unfortunately, many of us be it our friends, family, we have had to experience that very thing as well. So in ignorance, as, as Christians make these poor decisions, they've obeyed the gospel, they've put on Jesus in baptism, they've obeyed the gospel, and they have are mound members of the church. But they then selfishly, later on, by allowing sin to rule in their life, they ask the questions continually, what must I do to be lost? You know, the question is uh, quite common that we hear, what must I do to be saved? But turn that around, what must I do to be lost? I saw that in an article title here not too many weeks ago, and I thought that would be appropriate to mention. Whether they would want to confess that or not, by the way they live, they're doing that very thing. 
and in love we pray for them we continue to help them in any way they way we can to bring them back to Christ but I have listed three examples that some those that are Christians that they tend to fall away for one that may be the, they may be in love with the world they may be in love with the things their possessions in first John chapter 2 verse 15 we are told that very thing the second example that's before us is refusal to repent of sin that description is given in first John chapter 3 verse 8 Although that description is given and promises given to those Christians that will walk in the light, for if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have a constant cleansing of sin by the blood of Jesus Christ. But there's conditions to that. We have to be obedient. And that very description of 1 John chapter 3, verse 8 gives the description of one that is lost in sin and refuses to repent, whether that be an adulterous marriage, fornication, the list could go on. But what about a third one? We would like to think that this is not all that common, but as I hear things from other individuals and hear things in passing, I'm afraid this type of thing happens far more than we would like to hope for. And that's given into false doctrines and denominations. We are told in 1 John in chapter 4, verse 1, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. That statement cannot be more true then in that time for them as it is for us now. We see individuals like Joe Osteen, Joseph Prince, even Billy Graham have preached a lifetime that all you have to do is believe. God will come into your heart, pray to him using the sinner's prayer. His blood will cover you and in essence, live how you want to live. You're once saved, always saved. We are familiar with these truths, but there's a problem with that. There is not one New Testament teaching that ties the blood of Christ to belief alone. Not one. You won't find it. And there's their problem. There is their problem. And for those that have become Christians, that were baptized, that did come in contact with that lamb's blood that was shed for us, they may begin to be wayward. They may attend the denomination. As tragic as this is, I read an obituary not three weeks ago in the newspaper. This individual had been baptized into the Church of Christ, the obituary read, but in the very next sentence, it read that he had, in essence, was attending a denomination. That was stated just like nothing was wrong, that it was okay, and I'm not standing here judging that individual, but we all certainly know what the New Testament says about being a member of the one body of Christ, about being covered in the, the Lamb's blood. And what the New Testament says about denominationalism, that every seed that, that Jesus said that his heavenly Father planteth not will be rooted up. 
Jesus also told us in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, Beware of false prophets which, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are raving wolves. We see that time and time again. And quite often the, the other line of that falsehood and denominationalism, we noted this morning, Brother Randy highlighted to us the trouble, the, the dangerous teachings of the emerging church about how they have no doctrine and about how you can live just any way you want to go to heaven. But for any of these individuals, whatever category they may fall in, forsaken by God, they knew him at once. They, knew, they had relationship with him. They had fellowship with him. Jesus added him to the church. But they're forgetting something. And we're told what they're forgetting in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 9. The text reads, But he that lacketh these things is blind. Now the, descri the description there, those things that they're talking about, were the Christian graces, and cannot, and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sin. There's our problem. If anybody's fallen away, Likely they've forgotten they were purged from their old sin. They've forgotten what that blood did for them. That lamb's blood, as he hung on the cross, forsaken by God, they forgot what, they did, what it did for them. And they go down their own road, on their own path, putting their opinions, their thoughts, before God's law. And may we all understand be it 40, 50, 10, 15 years ago, however long it may have been since you obeyed the gospel, always appreciate that confession you made. Someone asks you, do you believe with all your heart that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? And you said, yes, I do, or yes, I do with all my heart. Did you mean that? You had to mean that in order for it to be a scriptural thing but when you said that you committed your life to Christ you would you in essence said you would be there you would take up your cross you would conform to his will not the other way around and we've noted this scripture in passing in our series of lessons before and we're going to note it again that description in 2nd Peter chapter 2 verses 20 through 22 are given it's given to us there about how those that are forsaken and essentially by God, it would have been better for them if they had never known the way of righteousness than to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. If only those that we know of could appreciate a warning, a danger that they are in, and in hopes that they would repent, we hope that for them because they are in the most dangerous situation, the dangerous circumstance that anybody could be in. They come in contact with the blood once, but they've turned from it. They, they say, I don't want it anymore. So what about you tonight? As a Christian, have you allowed distance to become between you and God? Are you forsaken by him tonight? 
You may know that. Others may know that. But if you've never obeyed the gospel, you have never put on the blood of Jesus Christ, you can do that tonight. We will help you in either of those ways. For none of us here know when our appointment of death is going to be. Don't die forsaken by God. Or we don't know when the Lord is going to return. When he returns, if that be tonight, if that be tomorrow, if that be next month, next year, don't, don't be ready to stand for him in judgment forsaken by him. He will never leave us or forsake us. But the only ones that can make that decision is us. He won't forsake us, but he, we can forsake him. And we can forsake that blood. And we can forsake our salvation if we so choose. Or maybe you need encouragement tonight. Maybe you've again allowed things to come in your life. If Christ being forsaken by his Father is meaningless in your life tonight, you can come down this aisle. We'll confess those things. We'll pray for you. You need to correct that spiritual heart problem you have. And the promise of 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, we will pray for you. But if you've never obeyed the gospel, it is required of you that you hear the word, Romans 10, 17. We've done that tonight. You must believe with all your heart that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, Mark 16, 15. You must repent of those things in your life, those sins in your life, with the intent, turning from them, with the intent to do them no more, Luke 13, 3. Confess his wonderful name as the Son of God, Romans 10, 9 and 10, and be baptized, buried with him in his death and baptism, and he'll add you to the church, 1 Corinthians 12, 13. He'll cover you in that blood, and he'll forgive you of your sins. And if you remain faithful from that point on, heaven will be your home, Revelation 2, 10. If we can help you in these, either of these ways tonight, we ask how we can do that as we stand and sing the chosen song.